Well, on this day, we here in this room join millions and millions of people all around the globe who are celebrating a historical event that occurred nearly 2,000 years ago over in Israel when that young man, 33 years of age, Jesus of Nazareth, demonstrated one of his superpowers, I guess you could say, power over death, when he literally, bodily, miraculously came out of the grave after having been killed and buried in a tomb. Eyewitnesses actually talked with Jesus after he died. And they wrote down their account of what happened for future generations to read. Accounts like this one from the book of Matthew. says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. That is the tomb where Jesus had been laid. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards, the fellows guarding Jesus' tomb there, were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Hey there. <laughs> they came to him. They clasped his, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So a man who was by all accounts very much dead was now very much alive. And for 20 centuries, Christians who are followers of that man have celebrated that event that occurred on that very first Easter Sunday morning. But you know, I would contend that it's not just Christians who should pay attention to this. Anybody who considers himself or herself to be a reasonable person should feel compelled to investigate this man further, don't you think? Buddhists. Hindus, Muslims, agnostics, atheists, people who identify as nuns on those religious surveys they give. If they want to be intellectually honest, they owe it to themselves to research the life and the teachings of this man who did something that no one else in history has ever done. Jesus deserves a hearing from everybody because of his resurrection. See, there are massive implications of Easter for every person on, on the planet. But here's where I want to go in this sermon today. I want us to consider what Jesus' main message was when he was here, what he talked with people about. Bible scholars are pretty unanimous on this. They're, they're pretty much in agreement. 
But I've noticed that our culture can be a bit confused about this. For example, if you watch the new comedy show Living Biblically on CBS, anybody seen this? I had to watch it because just the title, you know, intrigued me. But if you watch that, you'll, you'll see what I mean. The writers of that show seem to think that the main message of the Bible is keep the rules. The main character's name is Chip. And uh, because he has recently lost a good friend and is grieving over that, and then his wife comes and tells him she's pregnant, so he knows he's going to become a dad, and he feels like he needs to change his life. So what does he do? He goes out to a bookstore. Do those even exist anymore? Bookstores? And he obtains a copy of the Bible. And so he opens up the Bible, and then what he does is he kind of picks and chooses various laws from the Old Testament to try to keep as best as he can. So he goes out and he gets a new outfit that's woven from only one kind of material. Then he finds out that somebody in his office has committed adultery, has slept with someone not their spouse, and he picks up a a stone and throws it at the person. You know, stone adulterers, right? And then his dad shows up, who's really a jerk, and... uh, But he remembers that in the Bible it says, honor your father. So he tries to honor his dad, who's not very honorable. And he hopes that doing all of these things is going to result in this personal transformation of his life, which is what he's looking for. But I view those episodes and I ask myself, is that really the main teaching of the Bible? Change your life by keeping the rules? Is that the main teaching? Was that Jesus' primary message when he came? Keep the rules. I'd like us to look at what Mark, the gospel writer, records Jesus said right at the outset, right at the beginning of his brand new ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now you've heard that word gospel before, it means good news, gospel means good news, and Mark calls it the gospel of God, which means that it comes to us from above, from God himself, good news from God. Jesus' main message was that God has good news for humanity. And what was that good news? Keep the rules. No, not really. In fact, that doesn't sound like very good news, does it? Actually, that sounds like bad news because none of us keeps all of God's commands all the time. We are all rule breakers to one extent or another. Come on, admit it. And I am too. No, that wasn't Jesus' good news. So what was it? The good news that Jesus proclaimed was this. A new kingdom is on its way. Jesus came announcing that a brand new government, if you will, was breaking into this world. The government of God that he called the kingdom of God. A new era was about to begin and this kingdom's arrival would be Jesus' main message throughout his three years of ministry. Mark, excuse me, Matthew 9, 35 says this, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, here it is, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, giving a foretaste of the power of that kingdom. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. There it is again. So this was Jesus' main message. It was the subject of most of the parables he told. It was the subject of the famous Beatitudes that you've heard of and are familiar with. It was the essence of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. Or more literally, the kingship. That's probably a better translation of the word. The kingship of God breaking into our world with the arrival of Jesus himself. Soon it would become evident from his teachings and from the way he lived that this kingdom, this reign of God, would be very unique and very unusual. This new order that Jesus came to inaugurate would not be a political kingdom established by great power. God would not use military might to force people to accept his reign and comply with his policies. Nor would this new government be a democracy where the officials get elected by vote of the population. Now, this kingdom would be different, very different from anything that humanity had seen. Jesus said God's kingdom would not be of this world. It would come to us from another realm. And the supreme value of this new kingdom would be love. Love and devotion for the king and love for others. The royal subjects of this kingdom would gladly submit to the authority of their king. They would live from that authority to spread the culture of the kingdom. Jesus taught that this kingdom would start out small. It would have humble beginnings, but then it would grow slowly and expand over time and eventually replace the kingdoms of this world. And the governing principles of this kingdom would be vastly different from how things normally work here. In fact, the royal laws of the kingdom of God would turn the social order completely on its head. From the vantage point of the culture that surrounds it, this kingdom would appear to be upside down, inverted. This series that we're in is going to stretch across the next four weeks. And during our times together, I want us to explore this inverted, upside-down kingdom of God that Jesus came to announce. In particular, I want us to gain some understanding of of several of those key counter-cultural kingdom laws that Jesus himself taught and that he lived. And I also hope that we'll get a feel for how to live them out in our own lives. We're going to look at four of them, one a week for each of the next four weeks. And today, because it's Easter, it seemed appropriate to talk about this first one. And it's this, in the kingdom of God, life emerges from death. Life comes from death. In the kingdom of God, in order to really live, you must first die. There must be a grave before there can be a resurrection. Does that sound intriguing to you? I hope so. Take the study guide out of your worship folder if you haven't uh, yet. You can follow along, kind of track with me. I put some blanks on there. 
uh, in hopes that that'll help you kind of stay with me. I can identify five ways that this principle, this dying to live kingdom principle, plays out in our lives in the kingdom of God. And some of them are easy to understand, others are a bit more challenging and require some discernment. So here they are, here's all five of them. Jesus died so that he might live. Jesus died so that we might live. We died with Jesus so that his resurrection life would become our life. We must die daily to self in order to really experience this new life and bring it to others. And number five, because Jesus died and rose again, we too will rise after we die and we will live forever. So there's the whole sermon. I'm done. It's funny, a Catholic fellow came here once to visit with us and at the end he came up to me and I'd preached about a 40-minute sermon and he said, now, the homily is only supposed to be nine minutes. You know that, right? I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Well, this is going to be a little more than nine minutes. I got more, more to share with you, okay? Dying to live. Die in order to have life. That's a key principle governing God's upside-down kingdom. Now, this world, the world we live in, says dying is the end, right? Dying is the termination of life. It's something to be feared, something to be avoided at all costs. But Jesus turned that on its head by teaching that death is the pathway to life. And that just sounds odd to a lot of ears. And that's okay. So let's spend a few minutes trying to understand each of these five ways that this principle plays out in life, hopes of understanding it a little bit better. First one has to do, I like to start with Jesus, okay? So let's start with Jesus. This principle, this dying to live principle um, applied to him. Number one, Jesus died so that he might live. He had to die in order to attain a new kind of life for himself. Now, Jesus had to die, yes? In the plan of God, God's plan of redemption, which called for a perfect, sinless sacrifice to be offered to pay for the sins of humanity, Jesus was the only one qualified for that role. So Jesus had to die. But Jesus also had to rise. In God's grand plan, again, his son would reign forever as the eternal king, but you can't reign over anything if you're dead. So he had to die, but he had to rise. But to reign as king forever, he needed a new body. Follow me now. That human body that he had, that house that he lived in for those 33 years, it was aging while he was here, right? He didn't stay the little baby in the manger. He grew up. That body was changing. And I would contend that if Jesus hadn't been executed on that cross, he would have eventually died later from disease or old age. Have you ever thought about that? So to be an eternal king... He would need a new kind of indestructible body with a new kind of life that could not ever be extinguished. And that is what Jesus was raised with. That's what Romans 6, 9 says. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will what? 
never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So yes, Jesus lived to die, but he also died to live. He died having one kind of life, but he was raised with a new kind of life. Life unto God, it says. This is fascinating. So this life from death principle first applies to Jesus. But second, it also applies to us. Not only did Jesus die so that he might live, Jesus died, number two, so that we might live. Amen? It was Jesus' death that brings new life to us. Eternal life. I love the way he said it in John 12, 24. He said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Death brings life. Whoever loves his life loses it, he said, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Dying to live. Now, he's first referring to himself here, isn't he? He's the grain of wheat that would fall into the earth and die and bring forth much fruit. That's us. He's the one who refused to love his life, but instead became willing to lay it down for us. Thank God. I want you to think for a moment about the outcome of things if Jesus had chosen the other path. What if Jesus Christ had had loved his life in this world and refused to fall to the earth and die, well, then there would be no fruit. There would be no eternal life. There would be no forgiveness for those who believe. If Jesus refused to fall to the earth and die, there would be no kingdom, inverted kingdom, growing all over the earth. There would be no eternal kingdom filled with redeemed people from every tribe and race and language and tongue crying out to God in worship, that would not exist. And God's dream of having a royal family to dwell with forever, forget it. If Jesus lives, that dream dies. But if Jesus dies, then the kingdom dream is very much alive. And you and I can be forgiven. And we can enter into that kingdom. Please understand this, nobody, none of us, can gain eternal life and enter his kingdom by our own efforts. It comes only through trusting in Jesus' sacrificial death for us, that paid for our sins. I was talking with Dan this week, a guy in our church here, and we were having a conversation in my office, and... uh, He said, you know, it was an eye-opening experience for me when I was finally awakened to the fact that all of my good deeds, all the good things I had done in my life were not enough to make me right with God. He said it was an eye-opening thing because I was an ordained minister. Going to church was my routine every week. I read the Bible. I taught the Bible to other people. I prayed. I led people to Jesus Christ. I prayed with people to accept Jesus, he said. 
But I came to a point in my life where I realized I was relying on all that to make me right with God. And he said, when I first realized that none of that could atone for my past sins, he said, that was just, that rocked my world. And he told me about, in that moment, confessing his faith in Jesus as his Savior and Lord and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That very religious but very lost man surrendered his life to Jesus and was born again. If you are new to Christianity or new to church, I hope you will walk away with this thought firmly embedded in your mind. It can only be Jesus. It can only be Jesus. He's the only way to God. He said that, right? I am the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. You say, that's so narrow. Yes, it's a narrow way. It is. But it's open to all. It's open to all. Jesus died for us that we might have life, his life. That's the second aspect of this principle. The third one is a bit mysterious. But the Bible teaches it clearly and often. Number three, follow me now. We died with Jesus so that his resurrection life would become our life. Now this gets deep, okay? This is not 100 level stuff. And I'm very tempted on Easter with a lot of new people here, to skip over this because it's deeper theology. And I know some of you are new to this, but it's just too good to pass over. So just file it away in a folder called Deep Stuff to Think About Someday. Okay? It's called the Doctrine of Union with Christ. Union with Christ. It tells us how God sees things. Here's what happened. In the mind of God, when Jesus died on that cross, in a mystical, spiritual sense, in the eyes of God, all true believers of all ages died with him. We were united with him in his death so that we might also be united with him in his resurrection. And you say, what? Yes, listen. Listen to the word of God. Galatians 2.20 Paul wrote this, I have been crucified with Christ. You say, was he one of those thieves on either side of Jesus? No, this is a spiritual thing. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He would write it this way in another place. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See this? In another place, I don't think it's on your notes, Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I know this sounds strange. Just realize this is not talking about you physically dying with Jesus. It's talking about the old you, the old me being put to death with Christ. And so I think of it like this. When I think about my own life, God executed the old Steve with Jesus on that cross. The old Steve that you didn't know. That self-absorbed, 
idol-worshiping, self-focused, unredeemed guy. God killed that guy along with Jesus. Then God raised me to a new life. I'm not the same guy I used to be before I put my full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 18. I'm a different guy now. I've been raised with Jesus to walk in a new life. I'm a new creation in Christ, and so are many of you. Just a few weeks ago, my friend Vince stood right up here. He shared his testimony with with this congregation uh, just several weeks ago. And he talked about the old Vince as that guy who was addicted to alcohol and used drinking to medicate all of his hurts and disappointments and pains from his life. That was the old Vince until Jesus got a hold of him. He shared with us just how a couple of years ago he was sitting right over here and he heard again the message of the good news of Jesus that he'd heard many times before in his life, but this time something was different. He heard God challenge him personally to make sure that he was truly and genuinely in Christ. And right then, he surrendered his heart completely to God. And what the scriptures tell us is that in that moment, the old Vince was included in Christ's death on the cross, and he died, and he was raised to life as the new Vince. He became a new creation, a new man. God put his life inside Vince, and that changed the whole ballgame for him. I think it was the same week, a gal here named Megan also came up and shared her very similar story. She'd been in bondage to sin for years. She had her own set of addictions that she had been battling for years. But in the same way, Megan said that she too chose to let Jesus deal with the sins of her past and the sins of her present. And she trusted her life to Jesus Christ. And again, the scriptures say that in that moment, the old Megan went to the grave. And God raised her up and forgave her and made her new. And it it showed on her countenance. I wonder, has that ever happened to you? It can. Today could be the day of your death. The old you dying and a new you raised to life on Easter Sunday, 2018. Wouldn't that be awesome? It really would. Well, here's a fourth way this dying to live principle plays out. And and this one's for those of us who are Christians. Number four, we must die daily to self in order to really experience this new life and bring it to other people. Yes, the old self was crucified with Christ, but in our daily life, that pitiful old fellow wants to hop down off the cross. Isn't that true? It's only by dying to sin and self daily that we can fully experience God's true life that lives inside of us and express it to other people. Many Christian authors down through the years have written about this. They've called it the Calvary Road. 
the Calvary Road, that it's God's plan for each of his new creation citizens to take them on a similar path that he took his own son on. To take them through an agonizing Gethsemane experience. To take them to a hill called Calvary and to a deeper crucifixion of self on their own cross. If you've been through this, it feels like a death experience. Your dreams and plans get stripped away. It's not a punishment, but God does this so that we might find our joy solely in Him and experience a whole new level of living on the other side of that cross, just like Jesus did. And I believe in this. I believe it because I've experienced it, and I believe it mostly because I see it in these scriptures. Luke 9, 23, And he, that's Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his cross, daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life dies for my sake will save it. The great apostle Paul would write it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In another place he wrote, I die daily. I know it sounds contradictory, That's how things are in this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom of God. If you want to really live, you've got to first die. Die to self, die to always having to be first, always having to come out on top, always having to get your way. You know anybody like that? Always having to win. Uh, Die to your own definition of what it means to be a success. Die to being your own God, die to being in control. Real life only begins on the other side of the cross. One thing about being crucified, get get that image in your mind of someone being crucified. You know what? When a person's being crucified, he is not in control. He's not in control. Others are taking you down the Calvary road to where your flesh does not want to go. It goes kicking and screaming and protesting. You can't do this to me. I'm in charge of my life. I'm in control of my life. Anybody ever ridden on a tandem bike? The two-seater with two sets of handlebars? Anybody ever ridden in the back? We used to have one of those. I remember taking this ride with, with Shirley one time and I was in the front. And uh, when we were done riding, she said, I don't like this. (laughs) I'm back here. I can't, my handlebars don't turn. I can't control anything back here. I don't like this. (laughs) We all know the feeling, right? We like to be in control. We chafe when we're not in control. And yet, God in his mercy will put us in places where we're not in control and there's nothing we can do about it. You ever been there? It can feel like a crucifixion. Listen, there is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. Resurrections can only occur after a death. And resurrection life is so much better than a self-dominated fleshly life. One author said this, God is very committed to your death. 
<laughs> Take great joy in that. I can't tell you through the, down through the years how many people have told me about their death experience. Pastor Steve, I, I really thought I was in control of my life. I thought I was in charge of my future until I got a rude awakening one day. Until I got that medical report that rocked me back on my heels. Until that dream got shattered. Till my plans fell apart. Till that dream job I had went sour. Till that other person got the promotion that I deserved. I thought I was in control of things until my spouse walked away from me after 14 years of marriage. I thought I was in charge of my life and then my daughter told me she didn't want to see me again and walked out of the house. I thought I had it going on. I, I thought I did until that solid ground financially that I thought I was standing on crumbled away underneath my feet. All of a sudden... I didn't know what was going on. But you know what? So many times that same person who told me about this death would go on to tell me that in time, not their time, but God's time, God replaced it with something far more satisfying. They came to see things differently. They realized for the first time that what they had pinned their hopes on wasn't worthy of their trust. Only Jesus would do. And often they would look at me and say something like, but Steve, I had to go through it. I had to go through it myself. If God hadn't stripped me down to just about nothing, I would never have seen what I really had and what really matters in life. And it's true. How many of you have been through an experience like I'm talking about? Can I see your hands? Like half of you. <laughs> Maybe more. It's the way God works in his kingdom. He's not averse to taking any of us down that Calvary road, not because he hates us and wants us to be miserable, but because he loves us and he desires our greatest joy, which he knows will be in him. In him. By the way, those same death experiences are often the things that God uses to give us a ministry to other people. Have you ever found that out? You ever experienced that? Many of you could testify to that. It's like Paul once said to the Corinthians, he said, death is at work in us, but life in you. Our death is resulting in your life through our ministry to you. God will strip everything away so that we can empathize with other people, so that we have a story to tell, so that we can really love them. I would just say to you, if you're in the middle of that right now, people are taking you where you don't want to go, don't despair. I would urge you to just cooperate with God. Let it die. Let it die. It may need to die. And then watch God work new life into your soul and into your situation. He is a master at resurrection. Finally today, number five, how does this principle play out, dying to live? Number five, because Jesus died and rose again, we too will rise after we die and we will live forever. Jesus' death and resurrection guarantees a never-ending life for all of those who trust in him, truly trust in him. 
You remember his words? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Not truly. He's the one who said, because I live, you also will live. And who can forget this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've said this before. Billy Graham was one of my heroes. I love that man. Billy Graham was not perfect. He never claimed to be perfect. But I just greatly admire someone who could stay laser-focused on the same thing for 60 years. I admire him greatly. You know, a few weeks ago, he passed away. And I love this quote from Billy Graham that I read once. He said this, Someday... You will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am right now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. This last Wednesday, I got word that our dear brother, Romy McDonald, died. My friend, Romy. He and his daughters and their family would sit right over here in the back row in our Saturday night celebrations every week. In recent months, though, because of his failing and declining health, they weren't able to make it as often. He was in his 80s. Romy had a tumor on his brain. His kidneys were failing. His mind wasn't working like it always had. He'd been in and out of hospitals and care facilities for months. And finally, after just this agonizing season... Romy McDonald passed away. But you know what? Our friend Romy, who served his country in World War II with distinction and with honor, he didn't really pass away. What really happened is that he just relocated. (laughs) He changed his address. He moved to the other side. He's more alive today than he's ever been. I can say that with confidence because I was there with him just a couple of months ago in one of those care facilities where we had a very important and a very serious talk at his request. And he knew his time was short and he knew his body was failing him and he was very concerned. He said, Pastor Steve, I'm I'm really concerned that God might not accept me into heaven. That he might not truly be saved And that when he passed through death's doorway and stood before God, that God might, instead of welcoming him in, God might say, no, I won't have you. I asked him why, and he said, well, because of all the things he had done in his life that he was ashamed of. He was worried about that, and he said, I I really want to make sure that I'm right with my maker. And so there, sitting by his bedside, I shared the good news of Jesus with him once again that he heard dozens and dozens of times sitting right over here. And I took Romy's hand and I prayed for him. And I said, would you like to pray, Romy? And he said, yeah. And he prayed. And I heard that man, that battle-hardened man, pray a humble, contrite prayer of confessing his sins to God, of claiming Jesus Christ to be his Savior and Lord. If he never had sincerely before, now, Lord, I am giving you my whole life. I'm trusting in Jesus' sacrifice for me. 
And I know in that moment he received the forgiveness that he was looking for. He said, amen. I looked up. He looked up. He had this big old smile on his face. And I could see that he'd made peace with God. Friends, Jesus rose from the grave never to die again. And, and the Bible's very clear that people like Romy, who've trusted Jesus alone to be their Savior and Lord, will do the same. They will rise too from the grave one day. Jesus promised it himself. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Dead people hearing his voice and rising from the grave. They will rise and if they were true followers of Christ, they'll dwell forever with their glorious king and with all of his royal family in the eternal kingdom that God is preparing for his people, for those who love him. We will live again after we die. That's the truth of the upside down kingdom of God. Well, there is a lot more to learn about this kingdom that Jesus talked so much about, and I hope you'll make plans to come back next week, especially if you're a guest here today. Come back next week. We're going to learn more about this. For today, I just want you to know that God wants this for you. He wants you to have his life. His son, Jesus, gave his life for you that you might have his life. And on this Easter weekend, I feel compelled to ask, do you have the life of God in you? Scripture says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You've had the great privilege this morning of hearing the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hearing and believing this news has saved millions of people down through the centuries. For 2,000 years, people who have wanted to become Christians, people who have wanted to become followers of Jesus have expressed the faith that's rising up in their hearts with two confessions of faith that both come right out of the New Testament. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and Jesus is Lord. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, Jesus is Lord. And I would say to you on this Easter Sunday, if you sense that faith rising up in your own heart towards Christ, if you're ready to believe that Jesus' death was for you, paid for your sins, to spare you eternal judgment. If you're ready to believe that Jesus is alive and you're ready to trust Him fully with your life and give your life to Jesus, and if you want to confess Him as your Savior and Lord like Vince did and like Megan did and like Dan did and like Romy did, then I would say to you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, and I invite you right now to bow your head in humility and whisper those two confessions as prayers to God right now. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, you are Lord. Lord.